God bless you and on behalf of World Harvest Ministries, I'd like to welcome you and thank you so much for tuning in. In today's message, Brother Marty speaks from Romans chapter 8, verse 18 through verse 23. On the topic, the creature was made subject to vanity. Now in this message, we look deeper into the mysteries of God, hidden in creation. And as the Bible says, he who has in you, let him hear to what the Spirit of God is saying. Now we hope this word awakens you and deepens your understanding in God's word. Now let's tune in to today's message. If you have your Bibles, would you open them, please, to the book of Romans, chapter 8, and we'll get in the Word. Praise God. I think you're going to, I hope you'll learn some things tonight. I'm learning every day as the Lord teaches, and uh, I'm looking forward to what might come out tonight. I, I sensed his presence when I came in the house tonight, a great blessing of the Lord, and Praise God. Romans chapter 8. Remember, we're always recording for the internet, so be in prayer uh, that these messages go out from here, anointed of the Lord, and always lifting up the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Romans chapter 8. We'll start there, uh, beginning uh, with verse 18. Are you there? Amen. Verse 18, uh, the Apostle Paul is speaking. He says, for I reckon that the that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature is waiting for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity not willingly, but by reason of him who subjected the same in hope, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation is groaning and travailing in pain together until now. Notice that this is post-Calvary. This is after the cross that he makes this statement. That the creation continued to groan and is in pain together, even up to that present time, including ours. Now, Verse 23 says, and not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Notice he calls creation a they. <laughs> not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. We ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. Can you say amen? So we want to look at a few things tonight uh, taken from the 20th verse. For the creature was made subject to vanity. The creature was made subject to vanity. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this Bible study tonight. We thank you for those that 
heard your spirit drawing them to your house collectively as the body of Christ. May we have thee in our midst, O precious Holy Spirit, leading and guiding us into all the truth and revealing the Lord Jesus within us and to us. Help us to glorify and magnify the Lord with doors that are opened, O Father, that we may speak the gospel as thou hast revealed it in thy word. Lord, we ask you would lift us now, suspending time and space, and reveal unto us, O Lord, the secret things. For the secret things belong to you, O God, but the things which are revealed, they belong to us and to our children forever and ever, that we might observe thy commandments and obey thy way. Heavenly Father, we thank you for hearing us. We thank you for acknowledging our prayer. And ultimately, Lord, we thank thee for defeating the enemy the enemy of our soul. In Jesus' name we pray and give you all the glory. All God's people said, amen and amen. I wanted you to turn over really quick. Keep your finger there. We're only going to be, I think, in three places tonight. <laughs> One will be, we're going to go over to Genesis and we'll spend the, the majority of our time there. But I want you to remember what we're talking about here, that the creature was subjected to vanity. Now, he says that Everything in verse, uh, where were we, verse 22, let's look at verse 22. He says that we know that the whole creation groaneth. These are really interesting words that he's using because he's attempting to elevate our understanding. Remember, this is written to the body of Christ. This isn't written to the world. And what we're endeavoring to look at tonight might unlock some understanding in all of us as to exactly what is it that we're involved in here? What is it that we are engaged in here? Many times the Bible speaks about groaning, travailing, pain, conflict, war. And it's as if those words just fly over our heads and, and, and we don't realize what it is that is actually being revealed in the scripture. But over the last couple of years, and especially the last several months, I've been sensing the spirit of the Lord moving the body of Christ and those that are with him and shut away with him and seeking him are beginning to hear an unfolding story, if you will, that has been sealed for the purposes of the time of the end. And that is where we are right now. We have crossed over into a new time, so to speak. Things are beginning to accelerate. I was talking to my wife the other day about uh, how it seems that when we meet on a Wednesday night or a Sunday morning, we have church in our house on Sunday mornings up in Reno with our children and some, several guests that come, uh, or when we're here with you. Uh, I talked to her about, doesn't it seem weird how that from one Sunday to another, which is only six days, it seems like a month has gone by. Or even sometimes from Wednesday to Sunday morning, seems like several weeks have gone by. Well, this is because what we are sensing, if you know what I'm talking about, is, is the onslaught and the changing, if you will, of the conflict of what we are experiencing. It's being brought down to the earth. There is resistance and there is struggle in the earth, in the spirit. Those who are shut away with God as the word of God came forth tonight, dwelling with him, abiding with him, not leaving his presence. He begins to, re well, how can I do that? I got a job. I got it. No, 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 no. It's from the heart, from your spirit. David said, my meditations are upon thee and thy word, O Lord, all the day. 
So you don't have to necessarily formally go into a prayer closet and hang out there, you know, although God might call you to that. You know, you never know for a season. But we walk in the spirit and wherever we go, we are in constant connection and communion with the spirit of the living God. If we are. That's what our heavenly prayer language is about. That's what our mind, renewed mind is about. That's why we put the scriptures, what David said, thy word I have hidden in my heart. Why? Because this world is horrible. And if I don't have it in my heart, I'll end up sinning against God. That's incredible stuff. Okay, that one's for free. So anyway, so we sense what's happening. Something is going on and yet something is being revealed. Though we have had these things always in the word, and if you're a student of the word and you read what the old timers write in their commentaries and stuff, they bump up against certain truths, but they only had light for their time. But I believe that the generation that is witnessing the fulfillment of prophetic scriptures is beginning to hear the voice of the Lord explain things to us as to what time and season we are in so that we might adjust ourselves appropriately led by the spirit so that we can move in the direction and the flow of the spirit because that is where your safety is. Can you say amen? Quickly turn over to Revelation chapter 12, verse 7, and then we'll, we'll really get into this. Remembering the, the title of our teaching tonight, and it's just the beginning. I, I encourage you to go, you know, get copies of these. We're going to start making CDs, I hope, so that you can listen to these things if you desire to and, and continue to learn and study on your own time. Revelation chapter 12, are you there? Uh, beginning with verse, uh, Revelation 12, let's look at verse 7. Listen, well, actually, yeah, I mean, we could be here all night. So listen, uh, <laughs> there's something, John has this, this, uh, this vision in Revelation 12, and, and he says, and I saw a wonder in heaven, right? A sign is really what it means. He was being given the opportunity to, to, to be taken by the Spirit of God and what he has shown is something incredible. He says, I see a woman, and he says, she's clothed with the sun. The moon is under her feet, and she has a crown of 12 stars on her head. And she is travailing, getting ready to give birth to something. And, and when he's shown this, he says, uh, she was with child and she cries travailing in birth. Now, I want to share something with you because the words in here, if you'll begin to look at them, when it, when it speaks about a woman or bringing forth, it can be interpreted in two ways. One is, is it can represent a woman, yes, but it can also represent the earth itself. Now, it's interesting that when John sees the woman, he first sees her in a heavenly sort of way. But when you get through the scriptures, you'll begin to see, I think it's verse six. She's now upon the earth fleeing into the wilderness where she will hang out for three and a half years, so to speak, as, it, as we get into this. Now, we're not going to focus on those three and a half years, but we're trying to lay a foundation and get to something here. So he sees her, and it's interesting, you can study this, but notice that all the elements of the universe, so to speak, are there and present in what he sees. He sees a woman clothed with the sun, 
So we have the sun, we have the moon under her feet, and then we have stars representing the 12 constellations, the 12 apostles, the 12 tribes of Israel, however you want to look at it. That's what we see. So the entirety of creation is focused around this woman. And if you can hear and receive it by the spirit, this woman is a type of the, is the earth, but also a type of that natural Israel that would come and give birth to Messiah. Everything that is transpiring has been ongoing for an innumerable ancient amount of time. And I only use the word time because I don't know how else to define it. We're talking about eternal things, but even eternal things are measured. God is outside of eternity. He cannot be measured. But we have revealed in the scripture that his, he has created eternity. He has created time and space. He has created the earth. There are multiple ways of understanding what God has done. David said, when I consider the heavens, the works of thy hands, the firmament, right? The works of thy fingers. What is man that you're mindful of him? Rather than looking at it in a way that I've always looked at it for many years was like, well, what is, what are we? You know, like, you're so awesome. Yes, that it does mean that. But when David is writing it by the spirit, he is asking a rhetorical question that demands a reflection, meditation and an answer. From the Lord. He set the question in the earth. What is man? He wants us to understand that man is not some accident of some microbial protoplasm that threw itself up on the shores of some crazy cosmic explosion. Come on, somebody. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Right? <laughs> but he is something special. And the man to which he refers is the man, Christ Jesus. All right, now let's, he says, he says, uh, there appeared another wonder in heaven, and look, notice when she's getting ready to bring birth to something, verse three, there's a, he sees another sign or another wonder. His attention is drawn to a great red dragon. We know this is the devil, right? Ah, I could sit here for a long time and talk about all this stuff, but let's just keep going. I just want you to see how where the conflict has its beginning. It's in heaven. And, and what he notices is something is about to be birthed. And then he appears. Oh, my gosh. I'm trying to calm myself here. <laughs> Think of what he sees. Right. John is having something marvelous revealed to him because up until this point, he's been seeing incredible manifestations of the judgment of God coming on the planet. And then it's as if he's taken in the spirit to understand it at a much higher, much more complex level. And so what he sees is he has revealed to him in the spirit. It's as if God is pointing his attention. If you look at the Greek words, you'll see it can mean earth. And she's uh, revealed as a woman. Something from the earth was always destined to be brought forth. 
But when his attention is taken from heaven, it, it then goes down to the earth and she becomes a physical woman. And she's pregnant with a child. Now, it's interesting because when the angel appeared, to, oh, praise you, Lord. When the angel appeared to Virgin Mary, remember? She said, how can this be? I've never known a man. He says, what? The spirit of God shall overshadow you or cover you. When you see the sun covering this woman, it is representative of how the spirit of God would cover the virgin in the future. Hallelujah. Now listen, is it any wonder that in verse, in verse 3 here, after this is revealed, this woman is pregnant and she's crying, traveling. In other words, we're being told that this is something as it approached the time frame, right? It's getting close, right? Because she's, she's in labor and she's in intense pain and she's just about to be delivered. It's at that time, understanding things spiritually, the dragon appears. Now, we have to ask ourselves, why does he appear? First, what can we learn from this? We can learn that our attention is drawn to him as a dragon, not as Lucifer, not as the anointed cherub that covers, not as that great, bright and beautiful being that seals up the sum, but he's already called a dragon. So what God is revealing to John by Jesus Christ and subsequently to us, the church, is that this whole plan that we find ourselves involved in was first revealed and begun to be revealed in eternity past. That the conflict had its origin there and that he was a dragon before Adam and Eve ever walked on the face of the earth. And this is what he's revealing. And notice in verse four, it says that he his tail takes a third part of the stars of heaven and he casts them to the earth. The dragon did. This gives us an insight, by the way, as a little side note as to what actually takes place in the realms of darkness. Notice he doesn't ask them to go. He doesn't, the, these stars are the angelic beings that have thrown their lot in with him. But he gathers them and throws them. It speaks of how they interact. Dark power only yields to greater dark power in their realm. Only Jesus has authority over it all. Amen. Hallelujah. That's why when you see him come out of that boat, you know, and that man from Gadara, right? All them 6,000 devils, they go running down to the shore and they fall at Jesus' feet. And they say, are you come to cast us into the abyss before? They yield to him. Now, Satan imposes his will in the economy of the darkness of the, of the dark world and he throws them into the earth. Now, why does he do that? This gives us an insight of how that these spirits or angelic beings, whatever you want to label them as, they really are powerful and they're real. If you don't think they're real, just look at this old world. Because Ephesians tells us that the spirit of disobedience is now, or the, the prince of the power of the air is the spirit that is working in 
the children or giving expression to his will through the children of disobedience. It is the same. They are powerful creatures with powerful intellects and incredible dark influence. And they are consumed and driven by one thing only, and that is to resist the will of God. They can do no other. It's not like they get up and choose to do anything good ever. They can't do but what they do because they exchanged the light of God for the lie of that great dragon. And so they became consumed with wicked, evil, death and decay. And now he, the woman's about to give birth and he takes them and he casts them into the earth, these, these stars of heaven, right? What is he doing? He, and we can tell here what he's doing and why he's doing it. The dragon then goes to confront the woman directly. But what he did by casting them to the earth was attempt to strategically place them geographically in case he would be born here or here or here or here. So he dispatches them as representatives of his army to resist this birth. He had an inkling that something ain't good for me in my kingdom here. Teaching, brother. Or I'd be jumping on the pews and stuff. All right. So he strategically places them in the earth and he himself directly comes to confront the woman. And, and, and now she's ready to be delivered. And what he attempts to do is to devour her child as soon as it's born. He did this throughout the ages. He did it with Abel. He did it uh, with, with Moses, right? What did he set about doing in Egypt? Killing all the male children. Remember when he shows up to confront Jesus in the wilderness? What does he say? If you're the son of God. He doesn't know. But he has a kind of a, an inkling because he was there at John's baptism when God said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Huh? He's been looking for him all along. And that's what John was having revealed to him. John. Everything that's going on now and everything, remember what he said, that which is, that which was, and that which is to come is what is revealed in the book of Revelation. So he's beginning to show him what was, what is, and what is yet to come. And, it, and that's where we find ourselves in here. He's been trying to destroy the man child. Because whether he fully understood it or not, and we know that he didn't, because the book of, uh, I believe it's uh, Corinthians, says, had the princes of this world known what they were doing, they never would have crucified the Lord of glory. Why did that destroy them? Because they had no legal authority to do it. Huh? The wages of sin is death. Transgression of the law is sin. But Jesus never transgressed the law. 
And so the one who became the caretaker and the enforcer of death, which was the power he possessed, when he killed the only man who never broke the law of which he was the enforcer, he killed himself. For he broke the principle of heavenly authority. Ah, okay, see. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Hallelujah. So he stands ready to devour her child as soon as it was born. And, and remember when Jesus was born, what happened? He moves upon Herod, right? To go kill him. He heard the angels appear to the shepherds in the field, right? <laughs> Glory to God in the highest, they said, peace on earth and goodwill toward men. For unto you this day in the city of David is born a savior. Hallelujah. Glory to God. <laughs> Hallelujah. He saw Gentiles coming from Babylon following stars and wonders in the heavens. All Jerusalem is shaking. My God. So he, as soon as he's born, he tries to kill him. But then we see here something really cool. It's accelerated. She brings him forth. And, and notice the scripture in verse 5 says, he is a man child. He's not an angel. He's not some new creation. He is the son of the living God. He's a man. Hallelujah. Glory to God. That's why we're saved. Because <laughs> he was a man. <laughs> Glory to God. It says in the book of Hebrews, right? Uh, he did not take upon himself what? The form of an angel. But he took upon himself the form of a man. And wherefore the children which are partakers of flesh and blood, he took part of the same. That through death he would destroy him who had the power of death. And deliver us who through all our lifetime were subject to bondage because of fear of death. Glory to God. Hallelujah. That's what he's doing. That's why he was so paranoid. That's why he dispatched his army. That's why he tried to kill the man child. He was frenetically running around the earth. To and fro. <laughs> so she brings him forth and, and, and this is what, what he was totally paranoid about she brings him forth for a specific purpose yes. he's the man child who is to rule all the nations don't you know he was called the prince of this world don't you know that his authority originated here don't you know that he was once the caretaker of this very planet that belongs to the Lord? That he ruled the nations. And so he seeks to kill the man child because the crown has been knocked off his head and is about to be given to somebody else. Hallelujah. Oh, you don't hear what the word of God is saying? <laughs> Hallelujah. He's to rule the nations. But here, then John is having something explained, right? This is his, his authority. But first, what? Her child is caught up to God 
to his throne. That's what happened, right? Yeah. <laughs> Acts chapter 1. It says they stood there and he, was, he, was, he ascended up into heaven and before their sight and, and was gathered into the clouds. He was caught up into heaven. And he's received into the throne of God. Now, when we come back, we'll talk about verse six, but we don't have time to get into that and why there's a transition there. But just notice the woman goes from heaven to the earth. Now, listen, verse seven says this, and there is war in heaven. Notice when the child is caught up into heaven, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, seated at the right hand of the father in his throne. Now, Michael appears and begins to fight. Why? Because Jesus paid the price. Jesus fulfilled the law. Do not think that I've come to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy it, but to fulfill it. The law is eternal. We know the law is spiritual. David said the law is perfect. It has its origins ever before there was Mount Sinai or the Ten Commandments. It is the eternal construct of God, the dictated will and purpose of God, the decreed word of God that holds all things together. No. And, And now that he redeemed us unto the Father. And he paid the price fulfilling the law. He rises up into heaven, is seated as the judge of all creation. And the first thing it appears that we're being told is he turns to Michael and says, go kick him out. Oh, man. (laughs) Hallelujah. Isn't that what happened? There's a war in heaven. His angels are fighting against the dragon and the dragon is fighting against his angels. And what happened? They prevailed not. Why? Because Jesus, all power has been given unto me, he said, in heaven and in the earth. All power. You look up that word and he's literally saying magistration or jurisdiction, supreme and ultimate authority has been given to me and I have gone about to cleanse the heavens. The heavens that were here of old. Remember what we started out talking about. The creation was made subject to vanity not willingly. In other words, God didn't want it to have to be this way. Amen. He knew it would be, but it wasn't in his heart. He subjected the same in hope. All right, now, look at, they prevailed not, and I love this part, neither was what? Their place. Verse seven, right? Verse eight. Neither was their place found anymore. In heaven. What is the first thing he does when he rose from the dead and is seated at the right hand of the father? He dispatches the greatest general creation has ever seen, Michael, and the most powerful beings. If we had time, we could go into this in such depth about conflict that's taking place. But he dispatches him and 
and, and, and then they engage in a battle. He didn't go quietly in the night. And if you will read this, you'll see that the battle has its origins in heaven and, begin, and he begins to clean out territory from heaven all the way down to the earth with the authority of the Lamb of God. They overcame him by the legal purchase price of the Lamb of glory, the blood of the Lamb. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. Hallelujah. Now, quickly, go to Genesis chapter 1. Because what we've been looking at is a conflict that began. And we'll close with this. We're going to go really quickly. I don't want to keep you too long. Listen. Now, many, I'm not giving anything new here, but as I revisited based on what we're talking about as revealed in the scripture tonight, we're going to see something very different and very cool to me. Now, I want to show you something here that the Lord showed me. First of all, when we read in Romans 8, 20, he said the creature was made subject to vanity, right? The word creature, and you can look it up in your own, it comes from the Greek word uh, katisis or katisis, K-T-I-S-I-S is the Greek word. So when he says the creation or the katisis, what he's literally saying is the original formation, implying that the world we live in now is not the original world that was. For the original formation was subjected to vanity. <laughs> I just have too much fun, I tell you. Now listen. So then Moses, as he received the book of Genesis from God, he writes it this way. He says, in the beginning, right? Now, there's a massive revelation there, right off the bat. But you have to study the word of God. And you have to, and we have the tools, so it's not some like, you know, you don't have to be no Hebrew scholar. You just look these things up. Now, in your Strong's Concordance is one of the best. And I said, in beginning, what is he saying, first of all? Remember what we said, the katesis in Greek, the original formation. Go over to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and you see, in the beginning, it is the same thing Paul's talking about. The word beginning comes from the Hebrew word reshith, reshith. And, and it means the first time in order or rank. It means the first time or the original time. He does two things. He creates. Listen what he does. He creates, and the word created, it literally means to bring something new, to bring something to birth. And what he brought new and what he brought into birth was heaven and earth. The first thing he did. Now, war in heaven, remember? 
the original formation was made subject to vanity. Now, the, verse, the, the Bible says, then we transition into verse 2, and it says, and the earth was without form. No mention of heaven. The earth was without form. So Moses, by the Spirit of God, is drawing our attention because the Bible is the unfolding story and revelation of God to man about what has actually happened, what is happening, and what will happen. And so he begins the very beginning of the book by telling us something. But remember, we were praying this evening and we said in Deuteronomy 29, 29, Moses said, the secret things belong to God. Right. And that's why many people can read the word and not see what you see or hear what you hear, because the secret things belong to him. But the things that are revealed, they belong to us. And that is what he's doing here tonight. And that's what he's doing all over the world for his children that are hearing what he's saying, because something is coming. And we have to be anchored. Oh, help me, Lord. We have to be anchored in a full understanding of what's happening because all hell is breaking loose on this planet. Because if you continue reading in Revelation 12, 7, you'll begin to see that his domain is coming to an end. He's been systematically kicked out dimension by dimension, place by place, until he returns to the very earth that he plunged into darkness in the original formation, in the first time. The earth was without. Now the word was, notice, the word was, you can look it up. It can be, it means to become something. Hayah, that's the Hebrew word, hayah. It means to become, to be broken, to faint, to fall, to come to pass. So in other words, what he's saying, and the earth became broken and it came to pass that it fell. The earth was, the earth became broken, the earth fell. You've lost your mind, Brother Marty. No, I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Something happened. He says it this way so that we'll understand what, what's up with the earth. Why the earth, right? I and mean, why don't we fight this? Why wasn't Jesus crucified on Mount Olympus in Mars? Or one of the moons of Jupiter? Huh? Because here is where the law of God was originally broken by a creature that had been invested in, you can read it later in Ezekiel 29, who sealed up the sum. I'm just gonna throw a little nugget out there. Just count how many of jewels are on him. There's 10. How many commandments were given to Moses? Yeah. Thou hast sinned. Thou hast been in Eden. 
Thou was cast down to the ground, which did weaken the nations. What nations? What places? What, what are you talking about? Well, he's already told us at the beginning. The, our attention is drawn to the earth, and we're told it was, or it became broken. It failed. It fainted. It came to pass. Something happened. The earth was without form. The word form comes from the Hebrew word tohu. The word form or tohu means it is lying in waste. It is a worthless thing. It is desolate. It is a desert. It is vanity. As Missy, she always goes, right? <laughs> he hasn't hidden anything. I just don't know why I got, shut up. You don't know anything. Go, go repent and pray. I'm so sick of hearing the whiners. whiners. He's coming for a glorious child. I don't want to start preaching. whiners. All right. So the earth or the original formation of God as it pertains to the earth be, became broken. It failed. It was without form. In other words, it, it lied in waste and became desolate. It, it was like a desert. It was a worthless thing. It was vanity. That's all in that Hebrew word, without form. And then he says, and void. The word void comes from the, from the Hebrew bohu, which means to be an un distinguishable ruin. Wow. That's incredibly violent talk. He says, God birthed something new. And he says it simply, a heaven and the earth. Verse 2, he says, he draws our attention to the earth because the scripture is the unfolding story of the redemption of all things. God was in Jesus Christ reconciling the cosmos unto himself. So, and then he says, look at the earth. It wasn't always that way. It became a failure. It, be, it failed. It, was, it, it fell. It, it fainted. And it became a desolation, a wilderness, an empty vanity and void, an undistinguishable ruin. When the judgment of God, as what it appears to be saying, came down on this planet, it so wiped away the, 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 the rebellion of it that you couldn't even recognize it. That's what Moses said happened. And he says this. Now listen to this. And darkness was upon the face of the deep. Listen. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. My God. When I had the Holy Spirit showing me this, fresh and new, without no commentaries, just the simple Hebrew words being interpreted and the Spirit of God leading and directing, I saw something here that just blew me away. And that's why I keep saying, God hasn't hidden anything. It's all right here. He opens his story with it. Hidden, but revealed. No. He says, 
so we talked about the earth, verse 2, became a failure. It failed. It was plunged into a failed state. It became uh, like a desert or a desolation, and, it, and you couldn't recognize it. It was void. It was an undistinguishable ruin. You can't ruin something that doesn't have something to ruin. So something was here that became ruined. Something from here caused it to be. And that's what he reveals in the next statement. Darkness, which it comes from the Hebrew word koshek, koshek. It means the dark, but it also means figuratively speaking. It implies this in the Hebrew darkness means misery, destruction, and death. So the earth becomes a failed state, an empty, desolate wilderness, and unrecognizable. And misery, destruction, and death is upon the face of the deep. First of all, we learn from Hebrews 2, 14, that Satan, the devil, is the one who had what? The power of death. Death, therefore, has already occurred. He became the possessor of it. And, in, and here we have it being revealed to us. Darkness, that is misery, destruction, and death is upon the face the word face comes from the Hebrew word panim. And it, it, it literally means the face of something. But as you get into the root words, it, 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 it can also mean a cherubim. A seraphim. So death, misery, and destruction, if you're following what I'm telling you here, what it seems to be implying here, death, misery, and destruction was upon the cherubim, the face of the one, the cherubim. Who is the anointed what? Yes. But he becomes, he's referencing him. Death, misery, destruction now covers his face. He was once that bright cherub, right, as he's described in Ezekiel 28. But now when you looked upon him as God sees him and Moses from, is relating what God is telling him, the cherubim became the very beholder of misery, death, and destruction. The face. Wow. Wow. And then he says that misery, death, and destruction uh, is upon that being, that cherubim. It's about the third reference in the, in the Hebrew word. As you look in your Strong's Concordance, there's one, two, and then three. You'll notice it says cherubim. I believe that's the best translation. And I believe that's what Moses is revealing. When you compare scripture to scripture now. Now, listen. It's upon the face of, and we're almost done, upon the face of the deep. Also, the word face means this, and we can learn from it. Let me just stay with face. It means cherubim, and it means cherubim of the former time 
or the before time. All this is in Hebrew. Understand the Hebrew language is so awesome. But when we try to unveil it or reveal it, it requires so much for us to, to dig into it so that we get the fullness of what's being said to us. So the face references a cherubim in the before time. Paul called the original creature the, the original formation, right? The pre-time, the first time in order and rank. It was there from the earth, apparently something happened, and that this face of once who was called the cherubim was plunged into darkness. His face became misery, death, and destruction. He was no longer that bright and morning star. He was no longer that beautiful anointed cherub that sat above all other creatures. The darkness is upon the face. And the word face also comes from the root word pana. It means to turn to evening. Oh my God. See, <laughs> the result of what he did caused the very cosmos themselves to be absent of light. It reversed something. That's literally what it also means. When he fell, he became misery, death, destruction. It brought on the earth such a force and swift reaction from God that if you had been there and you passed by the earth, you wouldn't even be able to recognize it. That's what Moses is saying in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, 1 and 2. And he says that this cherub who became the possessor of misery, death, and destruction, it also has at its root the word pana, which is where we get panaim, which is where we get face or covering or cherub or seraphim. It apparently at the root also is revealing something to us. Pana, that means that the light was reversed and it was plunged into darkness. So is it interesting? Because I've always thought it was interesting. When I talk about a day, I talk about it in the sense of when the sun comes up, right? God talks about it in the six days of creation. He says something interesting. He says, the evening and the morning are the first day. He starts in darkness and comes to light. He did it this way because as, oh, God, sit me down, Brother Stan. He did it this way because David would say day unto day is saying something. Utter a speech. Night unto night is showing knowledge. He, he plunged the whole of the universe into darkness. He reversed the light and it became dark. And that's why he says here, the spirit of God moves on the face of the waters. Notice that the spirit of God did not move on the face of the deep, so to speak. He moves upon the face of the waters because his spirit has nothing to do anymore with that cherub who plunged everything into darkness. Okay, you're in tilt now, right? Okay. <laughs> it's the word of God. Notice, the spirit of God moves on the waters, not the face of the deep, the face of the waters. Now, the spirit moved upon the face of the waters. He directs his attention to his judgment. 
He ignores the face or the cherubim who plunged everything into misery, death, and destruction, and his spirit begins to move. The word spirit means, uh, it literally means to violently exhale and to have within that exhale both anger and life. He was angry at what transpired, but when he blew over the face of the waters, he's, he's beginning a refreshing or restorative act and begins and sets about the process that will ultimately lead to the destruction of the devil himself. He moves the spirit, the ruach of Elohim. This is an act of Elohim. All three in one. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. He is before all things and he is the light of the world. He moves upon the face of the deep in judgment, but his spirit, Elohim, moves upon the face of the waters. Now, the waters, let's look at this real quick. Elohim, and you, you go look at this. The face of the waters is the surface of the waters, but it also means this. When he's moving on those waters, it comes from the Hebrew word mayim. It means the waters of danger become the waters of refreshment and transition. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. My God. These dangerous waters. So I can change. Oh, now let's preach like an evangelist, right? I don't care what you're going through. I don't care what your children are bound by. I don't care what your husband's doing. He can move upon the face of those dangerous waters and cause a refreshing to call. Oh, you don't hear what I'm saying. <laughs> Hallelujah. Like the old timers just say, you don't have any problems. All you need is faith in God. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The Spirit of God, he moves on those waters of danger and begins to refresh them and make them a transitionary baptism, a refreshing, a renewing. And then he says what? Let there be light. He's preaching. <laughs> He's preaching. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He's preaching. He's prophesying. He's prophesying. What did Jesus say? If, if they had ears to hear, they would have been shouting. He said, I am the light. Oh, my God. I am the light of the whole universe, he said, of the cosmos, of the world. <laughs> God, he told us all along. Amen. Hallelujah. Would you stand to your feet? Amen. That's the introduction. Amen. <laughs> it just gets better from there. <laughs> Hallelujah. To be continued. Amen. My God. Praise the Lord.
<laughs> well, he's alive again. The stone's been rolled away. My Jesus, he's alive again. He's no longer in that grave. He's alive again. I can hear the angels say, let all the earth rejoice. Let heaven and earth rejoice. Let all the earth rejoice. He's alive. Somebody clap your hands and praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Father, we bless your people and those listening around the world. Let it be known that Jesus Christ is Lord and that there is nothing impossible for him. He is the King of glory. He is the Lord, the Lord mighty in battle. He is the captain of the host of the armies of the Lord. He is our soon coming King. And let it be known, let it echo throughout the chambers of all creation. Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father and he's coming to execute judgment on the devil himself and all his children. Hallelujah. A new heaven and a new earth is being made and it is there that righteousness will dwell and your children will have right to the tree of life and that river that makes glad the city of God, the streams thereof which heal the nations, the leaves thereof which heal the nations. Father, we bless your people and we thank you and we pray that our Lord would return soon, that we as a family, all of us would be counted worthy to escape those things which are coming on the face of the earth, that we might stand in the congregation of the upright before the Son of Man. We thank you, Father. We glorify thee, Lord, and we worship you tonight. In Jesus' holy name, we praise thee, Lord God Almighty, and all God's people said amen and amen. Go ahead and clap your hands, praise the Lord, hug somebody, and tell them it was good to be in the house of the Lord. Once again, we'd like to thank you so much for tuning in to today's message. And don't forget to subscribe for the latest message. And if you would like more information about our ministry or would like to give, you can go ahead and visit us at www.worldharvestministries.net. Thank you so much for your prayers and support. And as we say here at World Harvest Ministries, keep looking up. God bless. One day.